Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham, and joining me today is a very special guest. We have an assistant coach. We have Coach John Welch of the Sacramento Kings. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing well. We have an off day today, so just uh, a few guys coming to shoot, and uh, that's about it today. Well, I guess if there's one thing that you have to enjoy about being in Sacramento is the weather. Uh, I don't know if you could ask for a better February than what we're having right now. How has it been to be here in Sacramento, this adjustment to being with this club and sort of something new and something different for you? Uh, I was a little spoiled because I was in Denver for seven years and uh, uh, last two years in Brooklyn, this year in Sac. So uh, uh, being in one place, I enjoy the the you know, the off seasons of moving basically take away the off season. Uh, but as far as being in Sacramento, I love it. I love the, love the city, love the, uh, the convenience, the small town feel of being here. You know, I live five minutes from the arena, the airport's five minutes away, uh, practice facilities right here. So, uh, you know, it's just, you know, it, it, it's a great, you know, uh, logistically place to coach. And then our fans are just amazing here. You know, just, uh, e- even, you know, with, with our record, you know, uh, every night, it, it, it feels like the arena is, is loud and it's packed. You know, you talk about the record, and, and I guess we can really start there. It's been such an up and down season. Have you ever been around a team that is it's so talented, but at the same time so incredibly erratic, and it's so tough to put your finger on each and every night what it is you're going to get from that team? Yeah, consistency has been, been a problem for us, but I think it's just skill. You know, that comes with being together. You know, the Spurs, their core has been together forever. You know, their coaching staff has been together, mm-hmm. you know, with those players forever. So I, I think with, with continuity comes consistency. So you, you can't expect that if, 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 if you haven't been together for, for a period of time. Okay. And, and you guys are, you're in the mix still. I mean, you're not out of the playoff hunt. Uh, the next seven games are absolutely brutal. I think everyone's looked at the schedule and, you know, circled this as one of the toughest stretches. But where are you guys at as a coaching staff with, sort of the the future of this team. Can you guys make a playoff run? Do you still believe in that? Or is it like, let's get through this last 28 games, 27 games, and do the best we can to keep this group together and to build and grow and, and get ready for next season? Oh, no. Our, our, our purpose is, you know, is try to win every game. And, you know, the, you know from the beginning, our goal is to make the playoffs. And that's, you know, what the players are striving to do and why we show up to work every day and why they show up to practice is, uh, so we feel we have the talent uh, to beat anybody on any night, and uh, I think we've proven that. Uh, so no, our, our our goal is to keep fighting, and you know, we we want to have you know a purpose to the games all the way through the season. We want to be playing meaningful games towards the end of April. Uh, that's I think the whole goal of the season. I I don't think you want to be out of it and playing games just to be playing games. Of course. Okay, so you guys have been doing a lot of different things of late. I. Quincy AC has been moved into the starting lineup, and Quincy and Willie Cauley Stein is coming off the bench. How do you see that? I know you do a lot of the offensive game plan. 
how does that change for you dealing with those two players? You got, you know, they both have a lot of energy. They both can get up and play above the rim. But really, you're talking about a guy who can stretch the defense a little bit versus a guy who's, for this point in his career, he's really more of an around the basket guy. Yeah, you know, you know, Q can you know can, can step out to the three and, and shoot the ball. Uh, Willie's been uh, surprisingly effective for us, just playing under the defense and and and, and getting the lobs from from Rajan and. Uh, and the offensive rebounds, so they, they both fit in well. Uh, you know, and, and that spot is basically, you know, uh, it's going to play off to Marcus. So uh, I think they both do a nice job there. You know, Q has really stepped in, and you know, he's kind of the heart of the team, gives us the energy, some toughness, uh, you know, that, that I think uh, the coaching staff and the players really appreciate. You know, when I was watching the San Antonio game, early in that game, they they did a really interesting defensive maneuver, which I, I considered illegal defense the entire time. But they had Duncan get out high on, on DeMarcus Cousins, and then they dropped Aldridge into the middle, sort of not respecting the fact that Quincy Acey can shoot. Um, what adjustments did you make to sort of get around that? Because in the second half, it was like a whole different ball game for you guys on the offensive end. There was, I mean, their defense is still stifling, but you really made an adjustment that seemed to open the floor up. The biggest thing for us is to play with pace. If we can get the ball up the court early and attack early, uh, teams are going to struggle guarding us. Uh, you know, the NBA, even for the best teams, if you're playing five on five, there's 10 guys in the half court. It's going to be tough to score. Uh, against the Spurs team, historically, for the last 10 years, you're not going to score in the paint. You're not going to shoot a high percentage in the paint. In Denver, we always struggled against them, uh, making shots in the paint. I mean, it goes all the way back down to David Robinson and Tim Duncan. That, you know, they have a philosophy of protecting the rim. And I think last night we shot 44% in the paint and they shot 75% in the paint. Uh, so if, if their defense is set, uh, their half-court defense is probably going to execute better on our half-court offense. Our transition, our early attacks are, are going to be able to get to the rim and, and, and get guys open before they can adjust to them. So it, it's just, you know, a little bit of battle of tempo. You know, they, they want to get back and set their defense and we want to attack it early and you know, get the markets on the move before they're set and they can crowd them. You know, pace has been such a key word for you guys. It's it's something that we heard before even George Carl came into Sacramento. It was a, a, a buzzword that the Kings were using long before. But you guys are one of the fastest paced teams in the league. Do you think that that is the most effective offensive scheme for your particular team or is there some variations that you have to do because you have one of the best big men in the league is it just a mixture or how do you how do you see that i think demarcus is best early his early post-ups are best i think it's not for our team i mean basically our philosophy is everything is better early any nba action is better early uh, uh, early post-up is better than a slow post-up. A, a, a quick pick-and-roll is better than a slow pick-and-roll. A quick pin-down in transition is better than a slow pin-down. You know, there's not an action that's better slower. Uh, and same thing with players. You want know, football, you want to get a receiver the ball with space. You know, that's what the whole point. You know, it's yards after catch. You know, if you can get a good player the ball with space, they're going to be hard to guard. And that's, you know, we feel the easiest way to, to penetrate, to create spaces early before, you know, basically it takes the other team's game plan out of the game. It takes their assistant coach who's calling every play out, out of the game. Uh, it just, uh, it makes it more of a, you know, uh, unstructured, uh, you know, faster pace, just attacking thing that where their guys have to guard us more one-on-one rather than with schemes. And I think most teams are better in their schemes than they're in their individual defense. Yeah, I think 
that's one of the things that we always, you know, the scheme versus the individual defense. It's it's very difficult at times. I like that you guys are able to get up and down the floor so fast. You have some really, really good runners on this team, you know, the Caspies, the Cauley Steins of the world. How is it that you get them to recognize when it's time to break and when it's not? Because that's one thing I've noticed about this team. It's always time to break. It's not. There's never not a time to break. So <laughs> it's not getting them to recognize it. It's get them in the habit. You know, and that's like, say, if you're with a continuity of being someplace, you develop habits. And with, with today's schedule in the NBA, that's probably the hardest things to do is you have to coach with words. You have to coach with film rather than coaching with repetition. And, you know, coaching with repetition, having them do it, you know, day in and day out, it just becomes what they do. You know, the Spurs have done the same thing year after year after year. Mm-hmm. So it just becomes automatic with them. And that's eventually our Denver teams. It just became automatic with us. You know, uh, the spacing, the running, the pace of the games. Okay, so I guess in your experience, how long does it take to get that? Because you're talking about continuity, which is extremely difficult to get in the NBA. We all know how many coaches the Sacramento Kings have had over the last seven years. But it's sort of a league-wide issue that coaching changes happen all the time. What is a good amount of time for this team in particular to, to figure it out and to get the sort of the muscle memory and the brain memory of what to do at every given moment in this, this scheme? I think, I mean, obviously, every year together, you're going to get better at it. You know, I don't think there's a magic number that it's, you know, two, four, six years, but just each year you're together, you know, you, you become better at what you do. And it becomes more natural, takes less thinking. And the more players you have that, that know how to do it are good at it, teach the other players. And it's the players teaching each other as well. And it just becomes, you know, the belief in it among each, each other, among the players becomes stronger. And, and they're able to help each other. And so instead of just the coaching staff teaching it, you have your core players teaching it as well. And that's what, you know, the, the, good, the good teams in the league have continuity. They have their players that learn from each other. And it's, you know, uh, you know it's a proven successful method. That's what the, the good teams do. It's definitely a formula that has worked for the San Antonio Spurs, but not everyone gets uh, the luxury of having one Hall of Famer after another after another come through the door. Um, you guys have, have done a lot of good work with your young players. It's something that I see on a daily basis. I see you working with Willie Cauley-Stein, and I know you guys work with Ben McLemore nonstop, and, and even guys like Quincy Acey who, who haven't played a ton this season. But what is it specifically with Willie that you've seen the growth that he's he's taken on? I, I spoke to him in the locker room uh, before the game on Wednesday night, and he said that he's he's almost to the point where he's playing pickup basketball. He's so excited because he feels like all the all the constraints are gone, all of the the questions are gone. His confidence is high, and he's just ready to go out there and play basketball. How do you get a player to that phase? I think a lot of it has to do with Rajon. He he does a great job with Willie, and, and if you see the good good young big guys in the league, it it usually takes a special player that. Uh, kind of helps him along. And, you know, Hassan Whiteside in Miami, I think, you know, uh, a lot of his success is, is due to Dwayne Wade throwing him lobs. Uh, you know, the, the, you know, Bojan, the big kid with the Spurs, when Manu plays with him, he's constantly feeding him the ball around the basket. You know, Rajon has done a great job with Willie in, 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 in throwing him the ball, having confidence with him and talking with him. So I think that's been a, a major thing. The second thing is, uh, and, and maybe this is even more important, is, is Willie's just desire. Uh, I think coming out of the draft, there was some question of whether he liked basketball or had a desire. And he, he has 
a burning desire to be a great player, and he learns things as quickly as any young player I've ever been around. Uh, just uh, he has all these aha moments where you see the the smile and the sparkle in his eye when you teach him something. He's so excited about it, and oh, now it, it's just uh, it's it, it makes all of our jobs uh, so much fun working with someone like him. You know, I again, I, I watched you and Rajan working with him. Maybe it was a week and a half, two weeks ago. You were working on him in transition, getting out, but he drops the ball too low every time. So you're showing him to keep his elbows high and to swing his elbows through as he's going up for the layup to protect the ball. And then you get to the game against the Spurs, and you see Cauley Stein on the break. And not <laughs> only and not only did he do exactly what you had you had shown him which was keep the ball high, keep the ball away from the guards, up around his his face. But he also did a Euro step and switched the hand. I mean, you have to marvel at his athleticism at some point, right? Yeah, and, and again, it's just, uh, you know, because of uh, his foot problems in the past, we want to make sure that we don't overwork him and that we keep him fresh and, and injury-free. And it's been tough with him because he's constantly coming to me wanting to do more, more work. Uh, Coach Wahlberg did a phenomenal job working with him every day before and after practice. Uh, you know, he's just a sponge to want to get better and work on the things that, that are functional and, you know, that he'll use in the game. A lot of players want to come in and, and, and shoot threes or do things that, that they may not be ready to do yet in the game. And Willie, you know, is, is so coachable and will work on all the things that are going to help him, you know, in the next game. And then he's able to apply them right away. Uh, you know, he, you know, it's, you've shown glimpses of his, his ability to shoot the ball. We were just amazed when we brought him in here how well he shoots the ball. And drills, he, he is an amazing mid-range shooter. No one knows that yet. And it's not something that we're going to rely on right now. But in the future, you're going to see that he's going to be someone that's going to be a very consistent 17 to 18 foot shooter and eventually will, will be a three-point shooter uh and it's just you know his uh his mobility is his uh his quickness his athleticism he has so many things combined with his desire that that, that give him the the opportunity to become a great player yeah he's definitely one of the more interesting players i've ever been around just his personality is very intriguing you almost just want to sit there and continue to talk to him because he draws you in with this. It's almost uh, like a childlike like vision that he has, and he really has uh, an animated way about him that's really intriguing. So, I, look, Coach, I don't want to keep you all day. I know you're a busy man. Uh, you guys got a game tomorrow. But you guys have had all kinds of ups and downs this season, as a, not just a, a team, as a coaching staff, as a players. I mean, it's been a wild, crazy season. Are you guys firmly planted and and confident in what's happening right now and ready to finish this season strong? Yes. I mean, it's, uh, so it, we, we know the next, you know, you know, stretch of games is very important. It's against good teams, but we have good players. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's like, I think we're going into a fight. We're armed, you know, and, and we just have to go out and, and compete every night. And, uh, you know, it's it's not like we're going in feeling like these teams are all better than us, or you know that we don't have a chance to beat. You know, we we feel if we go out and we do what we're supposed to every night. You know, we're going to win a game, and I think and you know until proven otherwise, that's going to be you know uh, our attitude. You know, it's uh, you know you know with many of teams with with Demarcus and Rajon and Rudy, it's uh, 
you know, they give us the firepower to go out and, and, and just score enough that, uh, you know, it's tough for other teams to beat us. All right. Well, I think it is tough to beat you, too. It just it just depends on how what team shows up on a nightly basis. All right, so, Coach, thank you so much for, for jumping on. I know you're busy. I know everything is crazy there. Uh, but, again, it, w- it was nice to have you on the second time you've been on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. You got it. All right, thanks for having me. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Joining me for this second portion of the podcast, like always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoopball.com. AB, what's going on? I am like most of your listeners. I am fed up with covering the Kings. <laughs> I'm not what? really fed up, but, I, you know, are we, what are we going to talk about here today? Is this going to be new stuff or are we going to just rehash the same, same stuff over and over again? You know what, Aaron? They just won three in a row. What are you talking about? Three in a row. It was pretty huge to beat Michael Malone twice, I must say. Malone it's actually really huge. <laughs> it was, well, and on that note, it is massive, let me tell you, because the schedule is not getting any lighter here. Uh, okay, well, uh, let's let's start with the two battles against Michael Malone. Um, to be honest with you, I, I, they didn't. They let off the throttle in both games, and they they escaped both games. But a win is a win is a win. Um, do they mean anything at this moment, or are they just collecting wins to push them closer and closer to not having their draft pick and not making the playoffs? Yeah, I think those wins are important. I mean, to not make the playoffs and lose the pick. That that would be very Kingsy, uh, or Kangsy, if you will. Uh, I also think that um, they needed those wins to keep from imploding. So on that note, that that's a really good thing because I, I mean I don't know what what your sense around this is, is but George Carl to me seems like somebody who's already checked out, and I say that let me be very specific about checking out because I don't think that he's not trying. I don't think he's mailing it in on that on that end, but I don't think he's changing anytime soon. And I think he's fed up with, you know, more or less the criticism of of him, um, the criticism surrounding the team. And I think he's going to go out the way that he wants to go out. So in that respect, I think he's checked out because there's no changes made with this team whatsoever. This is the same exact facsimile of everything that was going on before the break. They just don't have Vance Wahlberg around. Um, sitting in a chair on the sideline. Nobody puts Vance in a corner. Uh, you know what? I, we talked about the Vance situation last week and how strange that was and how weird it was. Um, I had John Welsh on it in the first half. Um, very surprised I was able to get an assistant coach with all that's going on. Uh, but he was actually really good. Um, of course, we avoided like sticky subjects because uh, that that's just not where we're trying to lead this conversation. Um, not especially when you have a guest on. There's no reason to to poke and prod about a friend who lost his job and stuff like that. But um, I guess what more or less, Aaron, what we're we're both deciding here is we're just gonna act like Philadelphia, Denver, and Denver didn't happen because they weren't great wins and they eked them out. But they are still they fall in the win category. And I'll point this out too for those of you who are like, oh, this team is just the worst. Um, if you go back and I know you can't do this, but just the two Minnesota games, the Nets and the first Philadelphia game, if you win those four games, 
where you're the seven seed right now in the playoffs or the eight seed, right? You're in the playoffs. It, it, this season was lost on silly, silly losses, early, middle way, all over the place, games that you just shouldn't have lost. I mean, there are another eight games that I could pull that the Kings could have won and should have won. But those four games there, you have to win. And those four games are going to cost them the playoffs, most likely when it's all said and done. But when you get to the Spurs game, I guess we're going to have to cover the Spurs game because um, some things happened, and you kind of made mention of that. Uh, George Carl in post-game, he didn't take kindly to a young a young guy asking him about uh, his rotations and about Marco Bellinelli. Is that what you were talking about? That's a piece of what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I thought that that was really telling because Marco Bellinelli is on, that's a blip on, on, on George Carl's record. You know, he's overplayed the guy. He's misused him. And that young reporter has every right to ask that question because it's a really critical question surrounding this team. Marco Bellinelli's cost this team games. I don't think it's all uh, George Carl's fault that, that Marco Bellinelli's played the way that he's played. But he certainly hasn't put Marco Bellinelli in a place to succeed. So, yeah, that's a fair question. And for George to, you know, talk to this reporter like that's an unfair question, I just thought that was unprofessional. I I can see that. And to be honest with you, I I have a policy myself, and this is my own policy. Like, look, when it comes to individual games, I usually – I ignore the the stuff that that sticks out and like is obvious in a game that may or may not like I'm not going to ask a player about a shot they missed. I'm not going to ask a coach about the final play that he ran. Cuz look, those are like split second decisions. You know, if something blows up like the old Chris Webber timeout thing that cost you a game, it's going to go national, it's going to go big, it's going to blow up. But and you have to write about it. But in a game where one guy has a an atrocious game, I mean, he was 0-5 from the field. He ran like a negative 21. And not only that, but poor, in all honesty, poor Darren Collison and Willie Cauley-Stein. To me, that was the other tragedy of what happened with Bellinelli. Bellinelli just killed, he killed his teammates. Those guys ended up with, Collison ended up with like a negative 29 on the game and, and Collie Stein ended up with like a negative 24. Collison shot like seven of eight from the field and Collie Stein, same thing. He was right there. I, I think he was six of 10. He flew all over the court. He he had a huge impact. But when you're playing alongside of Marco Bellinelli at, at this juncture, then there's an issue. Uh, so I, I guess my point would be that I'm not going to call a coach out for playing Marco Bellinelli in that game because, to be honest with you, George Carl has played Marco Bellinelli in every single game, and very few times has he helped this team. So I'm only going to look at like big picture things that I can look at that have weight behind them as as far as sample size. And so if I look at it in that way, then George deserved to be called out for the Marco Bellinelli situation. So I guess it's a long way to get around and say. I guess it was fair. Well, and then you got Omri Caspi not playing. I mean, that's a huge question mark right there. That was weird. I, and again, I'm not I'm I'm not like a George apologist here. Honestly, I think what happened with Omri was that he put Costa in the game. He put uh he put what was it? Collison, Costa, uh Bellinelli and Collie Stein in the game. And the the game 
fell apart so quickly that it was mind-boggling and he was trying to reinsert a starter back into the game to try to level it out he was trying he tried to get Rudiger in first and then he came back with Cousins and I think what happened was he literally got caught mid-rotation getting blown out and he he didn't have he was trying to recover and didn't think to put Omri Caspi in the game because the bench unit had had fallen apart so but again I spoke to Omri after the game and I said hey are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. And I said, you just didn't play? And he goes, well, I saw your tweet about what George said. And I, f- I thought that that was funny. And he goes, I, I don't know. I like, I just didn't get to play. And that was it. And I'm like, all right. He's like, I said, so you're a hundred percent like you're a healthy scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine, man. So just a weird situation. And that game spun out of control. Yeah, it speaks to the disconnect, I think, in the locker room between players and coach at this point. I mean, we're, what, 25 games out uh, from the end of the season, and you've got a key veteran um, who's who's really played well this year who has no real idea why they're sitting. They're not on the same – he's not on the same page with Carl with respect to that. And um, that, you know, I think it speaks to the larger situation in in Sacramento where – He's a, he's a lame duck. Like everybody knows that that unless they do something drastic and start winning games and have this great showing in the playoffs and the tenor and the tone of everything around the organization changes, that he's not going to be here next year. And so, I guess my question has been throughout this entire year is why was this ever a wasted season in the first place, and why wasn't there, uh, you know, expectations placed upon George to behave in a certain way with regard to ripping players in the media with regards to offensive and defensive systems that clearly aren't working because you've got pretty much anybody that knows the game of basketball knows that this is just a it's a system mismatch and that the stubbornness of not changing is really what's been behind all of these losses so I I don't know like where do you go from here if you're the Kings can you make a change right now it seems less likely with every day uh i mean it's already bad basketball you 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 don't need to like have a phd in basketball to know that what they're doing is not good so if that's not not enough to to cause a change to be made you know where does this head one loss to san antonio doesn't change things but you know pretty soon there's going to be some must win games in here and they, um, I think they're three and a half out right now. Are they still that, three that, and a half? That number, I, I might not have refreshed my standings. I'll have to re-refresh here. But that's, we've got, no, they're four, they're four out behind the Jazz. They're not going to catch the Jazz. They're, I don't know. I think they can catch the Jazz. Dallas? I the Jazz they- are too good. Uh, look at that, Dallas. Dallas has moved to seventh. I I think Utah and Dallas are still up for grabs. I would bet my house they can't catch the Jazz. Really? Yes. Um. I, yeah. I wouldn't go that far. I honestly, I don't. Yeah, think... I probably shouldn't be betting my house. By the way, <laughs> we've already. You may have already lost your shirt on the road to thirty-three. <laughs> Easy. I'm a, I'm ahead on that. By the way, uh, I'm ahead. You're ahead. Uh, okay. Okay. So so I'm gonna like break this down too. Look, you lost to the Spurs. 
everyone in the league loses to the Spurs except for the Warriors. The Spurs are the most mechanical, systematic, destroy-you team that there is in the league. Um, you know, the Golden State Warriors are this free-flowing, beautiful piece of artwork. The uh, the San Antonio Spurs are like a like the Empire State Building. I mean, this thing is built like just impeccably, and it has been for I, you know this will be their 40th season in the in the NBA 40th season, and they will have made the playoffs in 36 of the 40. I mean, that's just staggering. No one, not another team in the NBA can even come close to that. It's absolutely shocking. And you walk into that game knowing that you have so little chance to win. You played in Denver the night before. The travel, everything else is brutal. You had very, very little opportunity to win that game. And so I'm going to take that. I'm going to crumple up in a little ball and I'm going to throw it away. But the problem that you still have is... The Bellinelli situation—that's one issue. You still have you have these other situations that keep popping their head up again and again and again. That's why I brought up like a larger sample size. Like I think at this point we know that Marco Bellinelli isn't made for this system. For some reason, he's not made for this system, or he's not made for a for a Sacramento Kings uniform. Like he signed to get a bunch of money. And the day he signed to get a bunch of money, he regretted it. And we're seeing that play out like in slow motion. He wants to play on a winner because he's played on winners. And as opposed to making a team into a winner, he sat back and, and said, I want to play for a winner. I can't believe I'm not playing for a winner. And so he's he's part of the problem, not part of the solution. And actually, the further along we get in this season, we've been talking about it all year long. I mean, this is a horrible defensive team. And of the horrible defensive you know, teammates on this, players on this team. He is the worst defender. There's no question about that. He hasn't hit his shots at all. We know that. Um, you know, even when he's wide open, I, I just, I, I kind of get the feeling like it's time to to not play him and to stick with Collison and McLemore and maybe a sprinkle of Seth Curry or James Anderson at the two. Really cut down to a two guard, a three guard set there and just try to ride this season out and see what happens. I mean, the the thing with the system, it's, you know, you mentioned that that he doesn't fit the system. I don't know that any of these guys fit, and I don't even know that there is a system at this point. They're freelancing so much out there with just four guys standing around the perimeter and an occasional screener. I, I don't, I mean, so yeah, you take Marco Bellinelli out and that's an obvious thing that you can do that will help this team. Um, but really, where do you go from there? DeMarcus Cousins is, he's like, he's exceeding expectations within this system and still looks terrible while doing it, I might add. And that's not enough to pull you out. I mean, he's having these superhuman performances. They're not good basketball, but they're superhuman performances. And that's not enough to really pull away from a team that's so the, the Denver Nuggets looked so bad against the Kings. I, I, I mean, they did look bad. They I don't know what that was all about. Are they always that bad? Cause I haven't watched a lot of the Nuggets. They uh, have a mixture of veterans and rookies. So they're really, you know, they're, they're veteran right now. DJ Augustine just joined the team too. Uh, he's got two games under his belt or maybe three now. Um, you know, Jameer really, Nelson. He was really good. <laughs> he yeah well that i mean i don't know he 
he wasn't good when DeMarcus Cousins picked him and went full court. I'll oh, say. no. No, that's true. But I've never seen a guy step onto a floor after getting off a plane, never playing with anyone on the entire team, and in his first five minutes throw five lobs to guys he's never played with before for wide-open dunks. He's he's good like that. And I've never seen that. I mean, that's that's crazy stuff. The the first game when they lose Jokic in four minutes, and, and My- Michael Malone wanted to strangle him because he threw this lazy pass at the perimeter that got stolen. And then he also had four fouls within, uh, or not four fouls, he had like two fouls within four minutes. They just yank him, and then, uh, you know, that takes out one of their big offensive weapons. So they're just not good enough to have mistakes like that happen. Um, they, I think, play a little too loose as well. But, you know, they're the Nuggets. They're, they're going to win 30 games or whatever, whatever the over is in Vegas. Yeah, they're going to win right around there. Yeah, and, and you know what? I, I think they are building towards something. What you're seeing is a lot of young players getting a lot of exposure and a lot of playing time, and I think that's what you have to do. I mean, I, I'm always caught off guard when, especially the first Nuggets game when Gallinari was sitting on the bench late in the game, um, and they were right in it, and they left him on the bench. I was surprised by that. I think he had 27 points, and they just they, they kept their best offensive player off the floor. Uh, Kenneth Freed has had a difficult time getting on the floor and getting consistent minutes, but... It's because Kenneth Free doesn't play consistent defense at all. Ever. Yeah, every, everybody you talk to in, in Denver that's not a Carl guy, because there's still, it's funny, there's Carl guys in Denver that literally actually use Carl talking points to talk about the Kings from 2,000 miles away or however far away it is. Um, they love him. They love Michael Malone there. He's doing a great job. Um, the players love him. It, it, they're definitely taking a step forward there. Uh, as far as the Kings go, though, it's like, where do you. Like I, I, I don't know what the the purpose of having Carl coach this season out or, you know, getting rid of his assistant coach if you're not gonna find a replacement or you're gonna leave it to Carl to find a replacement. I mean, is Carl gonna find a replacement? No, 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 no. I mean, I get that. I, I mean, I didn't get why you, you let go of Vance. I mean, I do I understand it. I, I've I've heard why it's done. I get why you do it, but I don't get why you do it without saying you have to make this specific change because there's no there's no time left in the season there's no uh like if you would have brought in a defensive coach over the weekend when the kings had like a couple of day layoff that's going to be like three of the remaining like six total practices there are no practices left so a defensive guy what's he going to sit on a plane and talk to somebody but i i think you it's really but i think we're we're making this too complicated with a defensive change like yeah i think there's going to be struggles but i think like as long as you're not zoning up the pick and roll and you go to just a traditional either hedge and recover or man-to-man principle on the pick and roll then you lose a lot of the defensive struggles and so i think you could do that right now today tomorrow without really having to work on, you know, I mean, guys get off the, look at the Phoenix. Uh, that's not a good example, but like guys, their teams get dis- dismantled and they get put together and they go out there and they run a base defense and it's not that exotic, but it gets, it'll be better than what they have right now. I'm, I just think they, I've seen a lot of good stuff out of their defense over the last couple of games, like not like something to write home about, but I, I think they're doing a better job of cutting off the baseline I think they're rotating better off of that cut off the baseline. I think both DeMarcus Cousins and Quincy AC have done a really nice job of of recovery and changing direction. I mean, there was a play that I, I tweeted out the video of Quincy AC. He jumped the, the cutter on the baseline 
the cutter on the baseline then diverted to the middle of the key, kicked it to Kenneth Fareed for a wide open dunk, and he recovered and blocked Fareed at the rim, flicked it out, ball went to DeMarcus Cousins for a two-handed flush on the other side. And, and that's something that like you can point to that was very specific that was not in their playbook like two weeks ago where they're playing, they do have some new nuance to their defensive scheme. And I don't know if that's them like converting back to some more conventional defensive schemes, but I think that they have improved slightly. They've spent a lot of time over the last, you know, week, week and a half working on defensive schemes because they have had a lot of time off. But they're still switching and they're still doing the the saggy switch, which is just killing them. And the saggy switch that that that, and also what i think is really interesting because there's this pr effort to explain that this is effort and energy and that demarcus cousins is out of shape and all of these things to explain that anything but the wizard behind the curtain is doing something wrong there's there's been good effort there's been i mean that's why i almost want the effort police to declare at certain points in time during the game you know, is it during the first quarter, the second quarter, the third quarter, and fourth quarter? Also, effort, please. If you're going to quote my tweets, you got to get them quoted on the right day. You can't say I quoted them yesterday, and that and they're they're tweets from like two months ago. I just have to throw that out there. By the way, I love section. I love what he does. I love his article. Um, but the uh, I want the effort police to declare when the effort is bad because I don't think people know right now when the effort is bad or not. It's it's this wobbly concept, and if the defense is improving, because I do think that they've been trying harder. Ben McLemore has been picking up full court. You know, the, there's certain elements of things that you could tell they're they're pissed off. They they're tired of losing. They're tired of being joked uh, joked about, especially with regard to their defense. So they're making these changes, but nothing's changing in 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 the the game itself. The team doesn't look any better, and I think it comes back to the offensive side of the ball because as Omer. Khan over at Sackdown Royalty so artfully presented the other day. This isn't a good offensive team. They get fast break buckets by selling out to, to go onto the fast break. But once you get them into the half court, they're in the bottom third of the league because they don't know how to run anything. And that exasperates their defense and it exasperates their turnovers and it makes them a losing basketball team. So you're not changing any of this stuff. I think if they were serious about this last third of the season, you do make a change at the All-Star break or you tell George you have to make these changes. And they haven't they haven't done that. So I just really wonder what was the plan for the last third of the season. All right, Aaron, you have a couple of interesting points there and and I'm just going to I'm going to bring him a couple of counterpoints or additional points if you will. Uh number 1, effort. I don't get the effort deal because you have the team who has the fastest pace in the NBA. So that means that your team is running up and down the court nonstop. So sometimes when you run up and down the court, you get a little bit lackadaisical when you get to the end and back to the other end and back to the other end and back to the other end. I mean, I think what happens is you slowly start to lose a 100% focus on each end because it becomes such a frenetic pace. And I, I do believe that that is a huge part of the issue with playing at such a high pace. Now, you know, talking to John Welch in in the first half of the podcast, and he brought up some really interesting points. He thinks that pin downs work better when you get down early and there's fewer people. He thinks that uh, playing isolation ball works when the pace is cranked up because now you're already in motion 
playing isolation ball against one man as opposed to, you know, two or three that can come and help. Um, so so I, some of that makes sense. And, and some of the, the ways that the Kings get out and break, it makes sense. But, you know, again, I... I I was uh, I was on with the Rise guys on on Thursday, and we talked about this. They said, "Look, you know, Cousins." Uh, Mark Jackson had brought up on the telecast that watching Cousins complain to the official not get back on defense is just inexcusable. And it's like, okay, but look, how many times did the Kings go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth? And and, and specifically in that San Antonio game, he had 16 points in the third quarter. He was running and dunking. He was leading the break. He was out on the break, getting the the pass for for the dunk. He was doing all of these things. It and the problem that I have if I'm the Kings is that Cousins is your everything on the offensive end. You're running everything through him. He has the highest usage rate in the NBA by a long shot, and you're running all of these plays through him. There, he has to take a break at some point. <laughs> You know, like Quincy AC, sure, he can run down and give you everything he's got on defense on every single possession. But Cousins can't do that because Cousins just battled three guys to try to put a ball in the hole every single time down. And he's running down to get early position and he's doing all of these things that some of the other players on, on this team aren't having to do. I mean, Ben McLemore is having to go stand in the corner and wait for a pass out. Same thing with Bellinelli. Sometimes Bellinelli is running off all those crazy screens. A lot of times, Bellinelli's just standing around in the offensive set, waiting for a catch and shoot. So Cousins is so heavily relied on that I, I seriously, I'm still going to give him a pass for like the three or four or five possessions a game where he doesn't get back in time on defense because I know how much work went into doing all of the other plays, all of the other possessions during that game. And I think you have to take the good with the bad. Oh yeah, I mean, if, and that's that's the thing. You could take almost any NBA player in the, um, you know, from a star perspective, and they all do this stuff. It's just exasperated with Cousins because he's so demonstrative about it. And I actually don't excuse him for that. I don't think he should have those five plays, even if he's tired. I mean, maybe that's a creative way to get a breather is to yell at the ref. But um, I would say, you know, skip that and get back down and um, you know, get back down on court. But again, it's it's just like look at this thing over here. Don't look at this thing over here. Like that, it's a distraction technique and it's pretty transparent. And it's funny because you, you hear, you hear it. So like all around the nation, like it's almost being submitted through press channels. And that's where you go. You know what? This stinks. Like, I don't think that DeMarcus cousins should be the recipient of like hit pieces, you know, on his character or his effort when you're right, he's lumbering up the court, you know, at 280 pounds with multiple injuries, playing 12 minutes straight in quarters. There's no uh, effort to rest this guy when the game is out of reach. It's almost like at times Carl is trying to run him into the ground because there's it's like, you know what? You've got however many games left in this season. You're not going to beat these guys. Get him off the floor. Yeah, that was my point too. My point was like, look, against that Spurs team, you were down 20 in the fourth quarter. You're not, okay, look, there is no way to come back against the San Antonio Spurs in the fourth quarter when you're down by 20. Wave the white flag. Put Cousins on the bench and say, thank you for the great win in Denver. Thanks for putting us on your back and putting up 39-9 and and 37-20 and the game before. You had a great run in the third quarter. You got us back in the game. 
the second team blew it. Let's move on and, and just get ready for Friday night. But no, that's not what happens. And so, you know, Cousins is frustrated. He He's not hustling at, on all plays. But most players, when they're down 20 to the San Antonio Spurs, they're not sprinting back to get in position. It, it's just not something that's happening. You're you're getting your butts kicked, and it's, it's a reality. All right, something else you brought in there. Um, you know, why did they... Okay, when they made the decision to keep George Carl at the All-Star break... I I don't know if I agreed or disagreed with it, but what I do know is that it's too late now and there's no reason to, to worry about it because in, instilling, uh, trying to put Corliss Williamson into the, into the head coaching role at this point, you're just, I mean, you're more than giving away the season. You're, you're losing your entire player base for the next 25, 26 games. No one's, I mean, they're going to, you want to talk about getting back slowly on defense. I mean, they would just uh, absolutely collapse. And wouldn't they though? They would because there's no way to change a system that quickly. There's nothing that Corliss could do to change the system. I I mean, and I like Corliss. I think he's a good dude. Um, He's never been a head coach. He has at the uh, like low division college level, but he's never been an NBA head coach. He's only got a couple of years as an assistant and honestly, when I look at it, how could he make a difference? Because the difference we're talking about, Aaron, isn't a different voice in the room. If it was just the Kings need a different voice in the room, then maybe that flies. Maybe that is a way to transition. If it's a Dave Blatt versus Tyron Lue uh, situation, that makes some sense because Tyron Lue's been there the whole time. He's not going to do a complete system overhaul. When you're going to Corliss Williamson... You're going to have to rely on George Carl's system throughout the rest of the season because that's that's where you're at. You can't just switch and hope to get you know things right. Again, if it was a if it was just a different voice, then I'm good. But changing everything, you're just giving away the the final third of the season. Really, just cashing it in and saying that's it, and paying a lot of money to do it. I think if you're going to have to run with George Carl's system down the stretch you might as well have George Carl run it I would I would say this if he doesn't make the changes it's guaranteed disaster and so at that point I would be because I'm willing to guarantee that it's disaster I'm I'm willing to to take the try on Corliss just to get a head start even on the next season um because he could go back to Michael Malone's system there's enough players that are that that played that system that could piece together. I mean, it, at this rate, if you do anything but having Rajon Rondo dribble the ball in the half court, it's going to be better. And that's, you know, I know he has these big assist totals and everybody's infatuated with that stuff, but like, it's not going to work. So I, I mean, I'm I'm willing to make that bet here on this podcast <laughs> and and see that play out. But that to me is just a a way that you could you can you could do that would be better than what they're going to do right now but as far as like going back to the all-star break like the decision to keep him without mandating a change in these systems who whoever pulled the trigger on that whether it's a combination of minority owners and, and Vivek or however the interplay between that worked but we do know that the minority owners were involved and that money was involved that's very clear right now when they made that decision, 
everybody needs to be very clear that this sent the season, the last third of the season, into a spiral where they're not going to win games. Can George change? I thought he was going to. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if when they when they got rid of uh, Vance that he decided he wasn't going to do it. Because when he was on, on Grant's show, this was a guy that was talking about well, maybe I need a half-court team and I need a full-court team and maybe we need to make these changes on defense. I thought he actually sounded like a guy that was willing to meet maybe halfway. But after they got rid of Vance, I, I just saw a different George. And I don't, you know, I don't see any attempt to make a change in any respect. So that makes me, that makes me just wonder, you know, if you know you're a lame duck, why not go out on your own terms? You know, if you're that sold on your own system. I, I guess that that's that. I mean, it is one way to look at it. And I and I understand it fully. So but at, at the same time, I mean, I, I just don't know that. I mean, look, should we should we be talking about playoffs? And I think the answer is absolutely not. But when you're in the middle of an eight-game stretch that, that the Kings are in where it's so brutal, I still think that the Kings have an opportunity to win three out of the next seven, maybe even four, if they could go four and three. Can you beat either OKC or the Clippers? I don't know. You've beat them both already this season. Can you beat Dallas, who's fading? Can you beat Men- uh, Memphis, that that's beat up and and traded away you know a lot of continuity and has gone a different direction can you beat the pelicans which you have to beat and of course you know we throw in the calves in that mix we throw in you know you're gonna lose some of these games but the kings still have if they make it out of this next stretch out of this say we'll we'll include the san antonio game the eight game stretch if they're four and four or three and five in that set they have a dude. They have a shot because yeah, the, the last next five stretch games, is crazy. Yeah, these next five games are, are really they're the the different. Actually, not five. Pardon me, seven games. The Clippers are going to come out ready to win. The Thunder are going to come out ready to win. Uh, Memphis, like you said, is beat up, and and but the thing is, is that they got Mike Conley and Zach Randolph. They're gonna they're gonna look at the Kings and say we got to get this game. So they're gonna come in and play hard. Um, Dallas is the, the, the really must win game for the Kings in that four game stretch. You get the Spurs right after that. The Kings cannot beat the Spurs, the, the new Orleans Pelicans. They're not as good as the Kings, but anything can happen. Then you get the Cavs and you get a little breather after that though. There's, there's a tiny little breather in the schedule for the next five games, six games after that seven or eight or even nine, 10. I'm looking at, ten, at a 10 game stretch after that, that kind of a mur- not murderers row, but a tough stretch. There's a, there's a 10 game stretch after that where the Kings could make their push. Look could at George- the rest of it. The rest of it is the same way. Honestly, the rest of the, the entire schedule after this eight game stretch, they're not, there's not one game in there that you circle and say that is a guaranteed loss. No, and that's the craziest thing about this is they. I, I would. I have no problem putting them in the playoffs if you say that they make even half a change, or, gosh, I mean, some of their talent is. I mean, with Demarcus Cousins playing the way that he is, he can single handedly win a game for you. It's just how many of those can he do, and how how much kind of adversity can he overcome, and can you know they limit their turnovers? That's that's such a big swing with this team. If they can get out there and not kick the ball around, you know say half as much they become pretty dangerous uh, it's i i don't want to rule them out for the playoffs but the, what you come up against is the math 
where there's so many teams between them and getting there. It's not that they're just four games out with however many to play, which I would like 26. to know. Six. 26 because they yeah, yeah yeah they had 29 coming out of the break and they're three games in the math starts crunching on you and then you have to not just be good but you have to be better than the teams around you portland doesn't look like they're going away it's the it's the mavs and the rockets and if you wanted to put the jazz in there you can do that i'm not going to do that but those guys are what four and and five games respectively uh ahead yeah. that's a lot of distance to make up so um but you I, play those teams too, if I'm not mistaken. Except for uh, Houston, I don't think they play Houston. They played Houston a bunch already. No, they get Houston in the last game of the season. Oh, see, there you go. There and they get is. Phoenix the game before that. Phoenix is the worst team in basketball right now. But uh, if you look at the schedule, how many games are against teams like Phoenix? And again, they've lost twice to Minnesota. They have but two I think... more, two more games against Phoenix. Who's terrible? Menace, Phoenix is Minnesota, is like a... right? Minnesota is going to play them tough. Portland will play them tough. Denver will play them tough. But but you you look, you got Phoenix twice in there. Oklahoma City at the end of the, the year, keep in mind, that on April 9th, they're going to have that third seed wrapped up. They'll probably be resting, guys. That could probably work in their favor. There's ways this can work. That's what I'm saying. And I'm saying it's, that you can't flush away the final 20, but 29 we, games and say, look, George Carl has been a, a miserable failure here, and we're going to just throw away the rest of the season. Because there's always the what if, and this team has shown the ability to win five and then lose eight out of nine, and then win three, and then who knows what they're going to win or lose. So I'll put it this way: if he doesn't change, I would almost be willing to predict that the Kings don't make the playoffs and they lose their pick. <laughs> oh, that would be uh, like I, I think a lot of Kings fans would would just be like off, like off, out I of their mind, like pissed. I think that's the favored result if he doesn't change, like. Better than fifty percent odds. Hmm. All right. Well, I, yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, it, it's 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 very possible. Very possible. All right. So, do we have anything else to cover, Aaron? We've we've run through this team like crazy. I I got video bombed, photo bombed by Mr. Demarcus Cousins. I uh, in in pregame. That was fun. Um, yeah, I, I like the way that the team has kind of taken their um, the the drama and kind of shoved it into its own little corner somewhere else. They don't let it. Hit, they don't seem to let it get to them. Well, me and Demarcus are good right now. I think there are plenty of times over the last six years that me and Demarcus aren't good. I think we're in a good place right now. I mean, I have respect for him. He's got respect for me. We've been going back and forth for a long, long time, and right now I think we're in a good spot. I think he's an He's grown up so much. It's not even funny. I don't buy the he's out of shape line. Um, you know, can he try harder on every single play? Yes, but they could also try harder to not run at 100 miles an hour the entire game and run a 280-pound dude into the ground. You know what I don't think we ever talked about is um, you guys are having so much fun over there that that you actually had a Hillary Clinton wig on. Oh God, that, that was, was the that was the funniest thing I've ever seen, man. That was bad. Can you bring that one back? No, we're not bringing that one back. I think the Kings fans would like that. I think Guy Haberman was Bernie in that one, and <laughs> and uh, and Bobby Jackson had Donald Trump hair. Oh, you got Hey, I, I really I appreciate the coverage at CSN. It's um, it's been really good this season. 
you guys I, are you guys are killing it. I love it. I think we're we are. Uh, Doug Christie was such a huge addition. He he's been absolutely spectacular. Bobby's done a good job. Guy Haberman's absolutely hilarious. Um, his dry wit and humor is, is just it's awesome. So I think he's he's a perfect moderator for what we're trying to do. Now they could give me a heads up and say, look, Demarcus Cousins is dancing over your shoulder. And I would like, you know, turn around and punch him or or maybe throw down and me and Demarcus like do the Carlton together right there on you know, on the telecast. I, I don't know. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I, I think you just you just put yourself out there. I think now you have to do the Carlton on the on the next telecast. Only if I got Demarcus Cousins standing next to me. That's okay, King Kings fans, you know what to do. You gotta tweet both James Ham and Demarcus Cousins and CSN Authentic That's with right. uh, instructions to do the Carlton. That's right. All right, so I think that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? No, no, I'm good. I think we all got it out on the table here today. We got it all out on the table. Let me see. Final thoughts. A uh, very special thank you to John Welsh because, again, this is a uh, difficult time for the Kings coaching staff, and it was nice of him to drop by. His knowledge on Willie Cauley-Stein was great. Uh, I've got a piece coming out on Willie Cauley-Stein that is is very, very interesting. He's such an interesting dude. Telling me that he's he's almost to the point where he's playing pickup ball. He, you know, he thinks another four or five games and it'll be him playing pickup ball out there. And then once he turns to pick up, pick up ball, that anything's possible. He's, he's going to be playing so well. He is. He's he is. just, I don't understand. I, don't, I know we're, not, we're, we're out of here, but God, he's playing well. His and confidence offense, is high. And yeah. the offense is just a cherry on top. That kid could, it's a great draft pick and Kings fans should be really happy about that. Yeah. John Welch even talked about his, uh, his jumper that no one's seen yet that, you know, they're like, he said that he'll be a three point shooter at some point. Jeez. I don't know if I love that idea. Uh, I don't want to turn him into Channing Fry anytime soon, but uh, definitely he's an intriguing young man. He's an intriguing, and I love what Quincy Ac is bringing to. It, you know what? That couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Quincy Ac is uh, the heart and the soul of the Sacramento Kings. Such a great dude. Such a great dude. All right, so I, that's it, Aaron. I think we're done. That yeah yeah. Uh, you can't turn Willie Cauley Stein into Channing Fry though. That's just not gonna happen. I'm well, sorry. Not, I gotta put a kibosh to that. The kibosh has been put on that. All right, so that's gonna do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. For Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. 